see you this morning. I said it before, it's good to hear you this morning. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us this morning. Before I get started, let me share a uh, sort of an announcement, or I guess maybe an opportunity. We need to be taking advantage of the opportunities that we have to get together, fellowship, and uh, to talk about Jesus. Last Friday night, Orlando Jr. organized a, a congregational devotional, which is a lot of fun and really effective. Um, another opportunity that we have is on Wednesday nights. If you're missing Wednesday nights, you're missing some really good stuff. Uh, a week from this Wednesday starts our new quarter. In the summer quarter, July, August, and September, we're going to be offering the Discovery Bible Study uh, format. And you've heard some things about this, and some of us have been kind of being trained in this. But starting in two Wednesday nights, you're going to have the opportunity to be a part of a Discovery Bible Study. And it's really exciting. It's really a, an idea to have the, God's Word speak to us. And to be a part of that, you need to sign up for it because they're smaller groups. And there's a sign-up sheet on the big bulletin board kind of as you come out of the Family Life Center. And you can sign up to be part of that. There'll be some other classes, more traditional classes, I guess, offered as well. But let me really encourage you to be a part of that uh, on uh, next quarter on Wednesday nights. I think you'll... I think you'll not only be encouraged, but you'll grow and you'll learn some things about each other, but also about God. Okay, that out of the way. What should we talk about this morning? I've got like 25 minutes. I'm up here. We can talk about anything. We can talk about sports. Did you hear that the Rays are talking about playing half of their home games in Montreal? What's up with that? I know. We could talk about that. People are talking about that. We could talk about the stock market for the next 20 minutes. Although I don't really know very much about the stock market. So I couldn't do very much talking about that. I asked a, some an expert in stocks what I should be investing in. He suggested canned foods and ammunition. So, But we could talk about that. You know, Orlando brought up the weather when he got up here. We could talk about the weather. I'm predicting hot and humid. <laughs> you know, not too much else to say in Central Florida till about October. We could talk about any of those things. Of course, I would never preach here again, but we could talk about those things this morning. But you know that's not what we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about sports, and we're not going to talk about the sports talk market, and we're not going to talk about the weather this morning. Even if this is your very first time at Bay Area, you know, Sunday morning in a church, a preacher's going to stand up and he's going to talk about the Bible. You know that's what I'm going to talk about, right? There are some people you know what they're going to talk about. You go to a math class when you're a kid, you know what the teacher's going to talk about. He's going to talk about math. History teacher, what's she going to talk about? She's going to talk about history. You kids, you get in you know, trouble with your parents. You know what they're going to say, right? How many times have you said, Dad, I know what you're going to say? And you do. But that doesn't stop us dads from saying it. But still, you know what they're going to say, right? We can talk about anything this morning. But we're going to talk about the Bible. And I know Tom Manley just breathed a sigh of relief somewhere. If you're a regular here, 
you know we're going to talk about the Bible. In fact, if you can read, <laughs> you probably have a good idea that we're going to talk about Acts, the 8th chapter. You can go ahead and be opening up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We have been going through this book. We've been looking at some lives and some lessons from the book of Acts. We are, uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple chapters ago actually, we were introduced to a guy by the name of Philip in the book of Acts. He was chosen as one of the seven to help distribute food to the Grecian widows. He was described with the other men as a man of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is going to show up in a very prominent way. Interesting point. Philip is the only person in the New Testament who's referred to as an evangelist. He's the only one. The church has come under persecution. And this little group of believers who had been sort of stationed in Jerusalem for the most part, has been forced to scatter. And Philip is one of the ones who has scattered. He ends up in the city of Samaria. What do you think Philip the evangelist is going to be talking about in the city of Samaria? If you just had to guess what he was going to be talking about, you could probably guess, right? You knew what he was going to be talking about. Look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. But the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. What was Philip talking about? He was talking about the good news. He was talking about the Messiah. He was talking about Jesus. And apparently he does it in a way that's very effective, very powerful. Verse 6. Crowds listened intently to what he had to say because of the miracles he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Great joy in that city. Good news leads to great joy. Philip the evangelist is, is holding a revival. Okay, he's kind of in the middle of a, a, a gospel, a, a gospel meeting, which you younger people have no idea what that is. But I've sat through a lot of them. He's telling people about the Messiah. He is affecting people. Physically as well as spiritually. Philip seems to be on a major role here. Uh, because of his message, an entire city is filled with joy. Wouldn't that be something? You know, I know some of you can agree with me. One of the greatest joys is to witness a person, you know, kind of turn from the world and turn to Jesus. Could you imagine having God use you to bring Jesus joy to an entire city? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be exciting? You know, God is using me to kind of affect this entire city. This is big. This is huge. This is working. I mean, it's really working. And then God shows up and says, Philip, I've got another assignment for you. And Philip would have to be thinking, well, okay, I, you know, I kind of hate to leave this because it's working here. You know, I've got some traction here in Samaria. People are listening. People are buying in. A lot of joy in the city. But God, if you want me somewhere else, I'll go somewhere else. Where to next? Now, what's the next big city? What's the next sold-out stadium I'm going to be speaking at? Now, what's the next big thing? And God is going to show Philip the next big thing. He said it's important. 
I'm pulling you out of this situation now because I want to send you to the next big thing. Verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. An angel tells Philip, I want you to leave this excitement. I want you to leave all of this success and I want you to go to the middle of nowhere, which is basically where this area was. I read one commentator that described this area as a completely desolate, uninhabited stretch of wilderness. That was the next big thing. That's where God wanted Philip to be. And Philip had to have been wondering, what is going on? I don't get it. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true or not, it sounds like it could be, in fact it sounds like something that might happen to me. This young American uh, wants to become a missionary, he goes to Africa for the first time, but he doesn't speak the language at all. But as soon as he's there, he wants to immerse himself in the culture. So the first Sunday, he wanted to worship in a village somewhere. But he got lost on his way. So by the time he finally got to the village, the church service had already started. And the little building where the people were meeting was packed. So he walks in, and the only seat he sees is in the very front. There's only one seat left. So he makes his way and sits down in the very front of this little church. that's just full of people. But he can't understand anything that's going on. So he decides, I'm going to pay attention to this guy beside me. It's about my age. I'll just do what he does. I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want anybody to know that I don't know what's going on. So he just watched the guy beside him. And when the guy stood up to sing, he stood up too. When he sat down for prayers, he sat down too. He did everything the guy beside him did. He got the sense that the preacher was finished preaching and he was making some type of announcement. The preacher said something that he didn't understand, and everybody started clapping. He looks over, the guy beside him is clapping, so he smiles and claps too. The preacher says something else that he doesn't understand. The guy beside him stands up, he stands up. There are gasps throughout the little building. This guy turns around and realizes that they're the only two standing up. So he sits back down. When it was all over, he found someone else who spoke English. He said, what was the preacher saying before I stood up? He said, well, the preacher announced that the Acosta family had just had a brand new baby boy born in the family. So everybody clapped. So what did he say after that? The preacher said, would the proud father please stand up? <laughs> See, sometimes we don't really understand what's going on. We act like we do. We want people to think we understand what's going on. But we don't understand what's going on. i got to think Philip was kind of in that boat right here. You know, what is going on? Why are you pulling me out of this thing that's going so well to send me here? I don't understand it. Now, Philip's already proven his ability to share God, the, God, the good news of God's Word. You know, he's, he's effective evangelist. He's passionate about the Lord. He's ready for the next big thing. God shows him the next big thing. Listen, if you, if you miss everything else I say today, don't miss this. The next big thing to God was one single soul who was searching for Jesus. 
To God, that was it. That was the next big thing. One single soul who was searching for Jesus. And I've got to remind myself of that. Because I find myself looking for the next big thing. What's next? Where are we going? What are we doing? Where are we headed? What's the plan? It's got to be good. It's got to be big. It's got to be explosive. What's the next big thing? God says, I'll show you something big. I'll show you something important. I'll show you the next big thing. It's one soul, maybe in the middle of nowhere, who's searching for the truth. Well, let's take a look at this passage. Um, exactly why it was so important for Philip to be there. You know, there's a lot of times I'll pick out just a verse or two and we'll kind of focus on that. I thought today it would be important to kind of get this whole story in context. So we're going to read the whole passage. It's only 14 verses long. But let's make sure we got the, the, the text down. I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he did. And he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, so he asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I? when there's no one to instruct me. And he begged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, was Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? So Philip began with this same scripture and then used many others to tell him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the city of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every city along the way until he came to Caesarea. That's the story of Philip's interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch. Fourteen verses, pretty straightforward. But what can we learn from it? How can we take the information and lead to transformation? Well, first let's start with the Ethiopian eunuch. Lots been made about the fact that he was from Ethiopia. Lots been made about the fact that he was a eunuch. That's why we call him the Ethiopian eunuch, I guess. We don't know his name. Now, I don't know that any of those things really matter. Here's what does matter. He was a man who realized something was missing in his life. He, he was a man who was in search of God. And I think that's all we really need to know about him. But there are some things we do know about him. Put yourself in his sandals for a minute. Imagine that you are that Ethiopian. What do we know about you? Well, we know you've got a pretty good job. We know you're very trustworthy. 
you have some discretionary income. Uh, we, we know that you're honest, you're respected, you're trusted, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. But there's something missing in your life. Even though the, you're the queen's right-hand man, there's something missing. And you're convinced that somehow God is involved in this incompleteness that you feel. You know, you've traveled the whole way to Jerusalem, which is a pretty good haul in a chariot just to worship. You spend a lot of money on the book of Isaiah. You can't pick those up in hotel lobbies. Not a whole lot of copies of the book of Isaiah, but you have one. The problem is you can't quite understand what it means. You're frustrated. You don't understand it. You know, you've been reading it for miles. You feel like you're so close and still so far away. Have you ever known anybody like that? Maybe, you, maybe you've been there, but have you ever known anybody that their life is actually pretty great? And they'll tell you their life is great. They have nothing to complain about, and yet there's a sense that something's missing. Something is just not quite complete. Listen, there are people that we come in contact with every single day who, just like this Ethiopian, are waiting for somebody to figuratively chase down their chariot and start talking to them about Jesus. We come in contact with people every single day. Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah. What was the eunuch talking about? As he read that passage, what was he talking about? Who was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. He just didn't know it. He didn't realize that he was talking about Jesus. We have friends who every day are talking about Jesus. They just don't know it. When they talk to you about their marriage and how they can have a better marriage and a closer you know, relationship with their spouse or their kids, they're talking about Jesus. They just don't realize it. When they talk about their life being kind of hollow or need some, need some purpose, you know, some direction in their life, they're talking about Jesus. They just don't know it. When they come to you and they say, hey, I need some advice. i got a problem. I'm looking for some solutions. Who are they really talking about? They're talking about Jesus. The eunuch was talking about Jesus. He didn't know it. Thankfully, God put Philip there to hear him and to steer that conversation towards Jesus. That's what the Ethiopian's talking about. How about Philip? He's just been yanked out of a very successful ministry. He's told to go down this lonely, deserted road. Not a lot of traffic on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. But there is one chariot plodding along. Philip's told to run it down and stay close to it. And really, that's all he's told. Which is strange directions. It's a strange place. Strange circumstances. The guy in the chariot, kind of a strange guy. He's reading scriptures. What do you think Philip's going to talk to him about? Because as far as we know, the, the Spirit doesn't tell him what to say. The Spirit just tells him where to be. But, but Philip's a man with a message. Do you understand what you're reading? No, I don't. I need someone to help me. Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? So Philip began the same scripture and then used many others to tell him the good news about Jesus. 
Who did Philip talk about? He talked about Jesus. He used that same passage out of Isaiah and others to talk about Jesus. What exactly did Philip say? I don't know. I wish I did. I wish I knew exactly what he said because apparently it made an impression on this man in the chariot. I know that he talked about Jesus. In fact, I'm convinced the, the, the main message was Jesus. I know he talked about salvation. I know he talked about baptism and its place in salvation. I know he talked about the joy that belongs to people who are committed to Jesus. Why do you know he talked all about that? Well, verse 36 says, As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Philip obviously talked to this man about baptism and its place in the salvation process. Why else would he ask to be baptized? Verse 39 says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, when I talk to somebody who's searching for Jesus, I'll quite often wind up, or at least go to, for spend some time in Acts chapter 8, this story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Because it's a great story of a guy who is really sincere, who's a good man, living a full life, but realizing that something is missing. He's this story of a, a, a man who's a frustrated searcher who goes to being on his way rejoicing. The story of a man who had some really important questions. Who's this talking about? You know, who is Jesus? What did he do? What should my response be from what he's done? And of course, he responds by believing in Jesus. He responds by being baptized into Christ. And he goes on his way rejoicing. It's a, it's a great story with a happy ending. I told you Philip was referred to in Scripture as an evangelist. I know a lot of evangelists. Some of us get paid. Most don't. But the most effective evangelists I've ever seen are people who have no idea they're evangelizing. They're just living their life for Jesus. They're just living their life convicted of sharing their Jesus story. They simply engage people. They come in contact with the story of Jesus, and they talk about him with the kind of integrity and the kind of humility that allows Jesus to be really appealing in other people's lives. Just being a witness. Just being a witness. Well, we've talked about the eunuch, and we've talked about Philip in this story. What about God? What can we learn about God in this passage? One thing for sure... God had a plan in this whole scenario. The Ethiopian didn't end up on that road by mistake, I don't think. I am sure that Philip didn't end up on that road by mistake. Philip had been doing a lot of good work back in Samaria. Shook up an entire city. Exciting stuff. But again, just as exciting was one man on a lonely road that stepped from darkness to light. That was God's plan. Not only did God have a plan, God had a presence in this whole scenario. Philip wasn't told why he should go to the desert road. He wasn't told exactly what he was supposed to do except to catch up with the chariot. 
But when he gets there, there's a man reading from the prophet Isaiah who's asking for some help. Is that lucky or what? What are the chances that the one chariot he runs up to just happens to have a guy reading about Jesus from an Old Testament script? Reading from the book of Isaiah. You know, he could have been reading about Moab. That's in Isaiah. He could have been reading about Hezekiah. That's in the book of Isaiah. He could have been reading about the warning of Assyrians uh, uh, addressing uh, Jerusalem. That's in the book of Isaiah. But he wasn't reading any of those things, was he? What was he reading? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Again, we've talked at length this year about being a witness for Jesus, about telling people our Jesus story, about being aware of opportunities that God is giving us, doors that are standing wide open for us to meet people right where they are and just just share Jesus in a non-threatening, in a, uh, in a very humble way. Now, we've talked about the process of prayer in, in that scenario. We, we've talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in, in that as well. God put these two men together for a relatively short period of time. But it was enough time. You know, God puts people in our lives. He puts us in people's lives. Sometimes for years and years, sometimes for a relatively short period of time. Pray that it's enough time to take advantage of the open doors that God is giving us just to share with people the good news of Jesus. Allow people the same rejoicing spirit that we've found. Pray for His presence. And then finally, God had a purpose. God knew there was a guy on that road who was seeking a relationship with Him. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 that God wants everyone to come to repentance. I'm convinced that if you are searching for God, He's searching for you. In fact, I'm convinced if you're not searching for God, He's still searching for you. If you are my age or a little bit older, or if you're a history buff, uh, you will remember that the number one news story in 1979 was the Iranian hostage crisis. It dominated the news of that year. The Ayatollah Khomeini overthrew the Shah of Iran, and captured several Americans, held them hostage. Immediately, President Jimmy Carter started negotiations to get those men released, but the Iranians realized the kind of leverage that they had with these American hostages, and they weren't going to release them. Two men that were captured during that incident were employees of Ross Perot, who owned EDS, a company out of Texas. You might remember, if you're old enough, Ross Perot ran for president a couple of times, but he was also a billionaire businessman, owned this company. Immediately, Perot gets in touch with the president to see what diplomatic channels are being done to free those men, especially his two employees. He was told it didn't look good for a speedy resolution. He hired lawyers in Iran to, to try to get their release. He reportedly offered uh, the Ayatollah over $12 million for the release of those two men. Nothing worked. 
And while the United States government was exploring diplomatic solutions, Perot said, I've got two of my employees sitting in a jail in Tehran, and I'm going to go get them. And that's exactly what he did. He got a couple of his own top-level employees as well as a team of mercenaries. He came up with this elaborate plan to storm into Iran, free his men, get away unharmed. He hired a Green Beret uh, uh, colonel named Bull Simmons to kind of head up the, the uh, operation, a retired guy. Ken Follett wrote a book about it on the wings of eagles. It's a really interesting read. I think they made a movie about it. They sneak into the country in the middle of a revolution. They have this elaborate plan with precise schedules and timing and explosives. They, 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 they break these two guys out of prison. They get in jeeps through hostile bandit country. They're digging up fuel that had been buried along the route so they could get away, uh, blasting their way through roadblocks, fighting their way across the Turkish border. It's an unbelievable rescue mission, especially considering that the United States government had nothing to do with it. It was completely planned and funded by Ross Perot. Regardless of what you might have thought about his uh, politics, you've you got to be impressed with that kind of commitment, that kind of loyalty to his employees. When it was all over, Perot said this. I'm going to quote him. I had but one purpose to bring those men home. He was asked about how much it cost the operation to, to get those men uh, free and, and back home. Here's what he said. Again, I want to quote. The cost was high, but I was prepared to spend every dollar I have. I was prepared to sacrifice everything I own. Those men were family, and they belonged here with us. There's a lot of lessons that we can pull out of the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. But I think the best lesson, at least for me, is a reminder of God's purpose. How desperately God wants us with Him. And He has already proven that He is willing to pay whatever cost might have to be incurred. He saw a man on a desert road who was searching for the truth. God went after him. He sent his best man to do it. I'm convinced that maybe there's some people here this morning who are searching for God. Listen, if you're searching for God, you need to know He's coming after you. He desires a relationship with you much more than you desire a relationship with Him. That relationship, by the way, came at an incredibly high cost. It cost him the life of his son, but he was willing to pay it because God's convinced that you belong here with him. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to consider the same truth that that Ethiopian was asked to consider. There was a lamb who was led to the slaughter, and he could have stopped it. He could have opened his mouth. He could have called down the powers and the armies of angels of heaven. But he didn't. His life was taken from him. And I'll ask you to consider the same question that the Ethiopian asked. Why can't I be baptized? Obviously, he understood the, the sacrifice that had been made. and He understood what God has asked of him. Why can't I be baptized? Here's water. Now, I'll give you the same answer that Philip gave that man. You can. 
It's in there. You can. You could go on your way today rejoicing. Just like that man from Ethiopia. A life forever changed. That's the story of Acts chapter 8. It's your story as well. If we can help you this morning in any way, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium. Meet us here, and, and we'll, uh, we'll talk with you and minister to you any way we can. Let's stand and sing.